Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic. Here, as always, with Ann Thompson and Thompson in Hollywood. And the last few weeks, we've been anticipating the can lineup, going through all kinds of different titles. And now we finally have real ones to talk about, because just yesterday, bright and early in the United States, at least around midday in Cannes, they announced most of the movies that are going to be in competition. Maybe they'll add some more later. But uh, it's a pretty robust list and a lot of different stuff to anticipate. And you can quibble about different sorts of things, the the few women filmmakers that are there or certain uh, countries that are underrepresented. But I think it's a pretty exciting lineup overall. What was your take, Anne? I was fascinated by it. I mean, it. it what I realized watching the press conference was, uh, you know, with my French, you know, trying to figure out what they were saying. Um, um, basically, uh, Terry Frimo clearly, and if you stayed through to the questions at the end where they're saying, where's the the De Plechin? Well, it turns out that's going to be opening directors Fortnite, or uh, where's the Spanish language films, or, or you know, it, the Asians did really well. That That's an incredible lineup uh, from, from Japan and, and China and Taiwan and and Korea, but but in, in fact, um, I'm still annoyed though that they that they don't seem to re- you know be willing to put animation uh, outside of a, a out of competition ghetto or or, or you know uh, documentaries. You know they just seem there seems to be so much incredible competition to get into the competition uh, that they that they they seem to be willing to sort of push all these things you know to the side. He did go out of his way to say that he tries to talk Woody Allen into being in the competition every year. So that I mean, was amusing. There, there is something to be said for Thierry Fromeau being maybe a baby step towards the modernization of Cannes. I mean, Gilles Jacob being this, you know, kind of old school character, former film critic, came out of that French New Wave temperament about the auteur theory and, and certain ways of seeing cinema that's very much in the DNA of the festival. At the same time, I don't know if he would have programmed a movie like Drive a few years ago. So in some ways, there are risks in in terms of the films that have been placed in competition. Gaspar Noé's Enter the Void a few years ago that have given the festival a little bit more edge, but it's not opening up, like you said, to different forms of cinema no I don't think it's convenient for them, finally. Exactly. That's the thing. If they start giving up those slots, it's the same thing with the Academy. As soon as they created an animated feature category, you know, that was it. They're not going to nominate animated films for, for Best Picture. Right. Um, and in this case, it was interesting. Um, they made a case for why Natalie Portman is out of competition uh, with her Jerusalem drama 
which is basically a question of not wanting her to have the extra scrutiny that was applied to poor Ryan Gosling with Lost River. Or <laughs> well, that's so Franco. kind of them to, to be generous to a famous person, whereas, you know, there's a, a first-time filmmaker in competition whom we've never heard of before, somebody who was an assistant director for Bellatar with this Holocaust drama, uh, that looks really interesting. But, Actually, uh, he made a big case about how extremely uh, innovative it is. Along with your friend, uh, he, he went on and on about raving about how the most mysterious movie in the in the competition is is your Greek uh, filmmaker. Mr. Yorgos Lanthimos, who made Dogtooth. Yep. I mean, that's a movie that we've been hearing about for a really long time, and he's a very peculiar director and the premise of this movie this near future dystopian thing sounds pretty wacky so again i mean there is some willingness to incorporate that those sensibilities into can and push some boundaries but it's it's a it's a challenge because they they aren't they aren't fully modernizing in the sense that they're not opening up to things like the pixar movie for example the animation still is ghettoized or the fact that the only documentary that's there is this Amy Winehouse thing that's in midnight. Out of competition yeah. also. And they're going to put up a big concert to go with it so that that'll make it into an event. But the big the big omission um, was the, the not being willing to take a movie that doesn't have a theatrical distributor. Netflix's Beasts with of No Name, um, you know, is is really, really a, an oversight, I think, for, to not recognize Carrie Fukunaga. Now, maybe the movie isn't that good. We don't know. Right. But um, uh, the filmmakers wanted it and in there, and and they 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 may have to settle for a sidebar like it directors seems to Fortnite. Some degree, like there's going to have to be a, a learning curve for a festival like Cannes to understand the degree to which they have to embrace these new entities. Because I remember a few years back when they actually held a press conference about a movie Criterion partnership with Scorsese, and the reason they did that was because of Scorsese. But that doesn't mean that. You know, if Netflix shows up, they totally get why Netflix is a legitimate player. And if they're involved, you know, it doesn't create some sort of ghettoization or whatever. You know, what it shows is that if there's a Soderbergh or 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 a, or a Scorsese who's already established, they may be willing to get you know beyond the candelabra had Michael Douglas and Matt Damon and Soderbergh, and so they were willing to book that. Um, they 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 weren't willing. What I what I think is so disturbing is that they're not willing to check out Carrie Fukunaga to recognize. I I'm not alone. See Nombre, Jane Eyre, True Detective. This guy's in the conversation, and yet they seem to be resisting that idea. It's in, it's it, what's um, fascinating to me is is that a lot of these movies are probably going to be seen if they're seen at all by American audiences and by audiences in all kinds of territories actually on platforms like Netflix because that's just the new normal. In some ways, the canned screening for a movie that is maybe sort of esoteric, certainly uh, very specific in terms of the way it tells the story, it's going to be a can, you know, in, in the Palais. There's, they, they take a lot of pride in that, and they should be embracing that in some ways because it is a way to show what sort of theatrical potential a movie can have before it enters the realities of the marketplace. 
you know, Netflix is everywhere now. It's all across Europe. Abs- so. Absolutely. And in some places it's not, you know, popular, but, but the, um, but that, you know, th- look, the other thing that happened is that obviously Harvey Weinstein is, is still <laughs> in, the, in the mix. He has two movies in competition, Todd Haynes, Carol, and the long awaited uh, Macbeth starring uh, Michael Fassbender uh, and Marion Cotillard. Now, obviously, those elements are important to the red carpet, so that gave it an edge. But Harvey, ever since the artist, Harvey's credibility is pretty high with with uh, with Cannes. And those are two movies that actually look really strong. I mean, we've been talking about Carol for a really long time. Todd Haynes hasn't made a feature. He's, he did the TV drama, but he hasn't done a feature since I'm Not There, which was many years ago at this point. So it's great to have him back in the fold. And the Macbeth adaptation by Justin Kurzel is interesting because he's somebody that a lot of people don't know about, but he did this uh, Australian serial killer drama called Snowtown a couple years back that I believe was in Critics Week at Cannes, and it was really impressive. So those are actually two really strong movies. It doesn't just feel like the Harvey effect exclusively, or at least it's not a shameful inclusion like last year, well, we'll find right. out. I mean, they, you know, they make, they, sometimes with English language films, I'm sorry, but they, they really, what was the case you were going to, I mean, putting in, you know, Adam Agoyan's film, Captive, I mean, they make mistakes. They make enormous mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. So there will probably be bad movies there. Or the other one from Hasanavicious, you know, the, 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 oh, that, was name? Awful. that awful movie. I, I've been forgetting it ever since. <laughs> but another thing to think about is how much did, you know, can rely on people like Harvey Weinstein to provide them the goods for certain kinds of movies? I mean, there there is some conversation around... You know, did certain things not make the cut because they didn't screen for Can, or did they did Can actually reject certain things that we expected to be there, like say the Gaspar Noé film or something like that? A lot of folks have been telling me that anybody who makes a claim that they didn't screen for Can with a film of a certain scale, anyway, is lying. That Can sees well, everything, but I don't know. So Spain, you know, didn't make it with uh, with an English language film from Alejandro Amenabar. Bellocchio wasn't didn't get in. Terrence Davies didn't get in. Stephen Frears didn't get in. He usually would if if he could. There were very few British films. Um, Amos Katai didn't get in. Im, Im Sang Soo, Naomi Kawasi. She was one of the women that was expected to get in. And um, a pitch upon Weir Safakul, who won the Palme d'Or a few years ago for his film. Although again, they could still announce some additions. But the but I am really curious to know what they've seen and how they react to it. I mean, well, he I, made a big thing about how there were some films that just weren't ready yet. They were try, they were hoping to see Jeff Nichols' movie. I thought I sort of thought that might show up. Um, absolutely, and that's a Warner Brothers film with a November release date, which means that it might not be ready. It, or you know, or they, it's too early. Yeah. yeah. Although, again, that's another one where somebody told me that they didn't screen for Cannes. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. A lot of people may want to use that because if you don't get into Cannes, it has a different sort of... It carries a different set of connotations than not getting accepted to other festivals simply because they radiate this sense of, you know, of having a true authenticity when it comes to the way in which they select films. It's That's BS to some degree, but it also is exciting in other ways because it does create a more heated conversation about quality. 
And yeah, no, no question. I mean, I, I, I argue that they should absolutely be opening up to new, to new, their, to new uh, definitions of what movies are. As, but maybe it's refreshing, you know. I mean, we, as you say, I mean, feature films need all the help they can get at this point because, in some ways, they're an endangered species. It is so clear now how many filmmakers, how many talented people are just flooding uh, over to television and it's just it's just become inevitable that that that's that's where the money is and that's where the investment is and netflix and and uh amazon are outbidding the studios i mean that will be that'll be an interesting thing in can right to see which of the films actually get acquired there by whom and at what price as the deeper pocketed uh, subscription services basically are uh, in a different game. It'll be uh, interesting, but it'll also be a real challenge to make the case in a festival like Cannes, where I think there's a different sort of premium on looking for a big theatrical release and there might be at other festivals. I'm actually more excited about the Toronto news that came out that the Toronto International Film Festival is creating this new section called Primetime focused on. TV from an international perspective, because I think that's sort of a natural result of tendencies we've been seeing come together for a long period of time. You know, it, uh, but if you look at Tribeca, you know, I mean, you, you, if you talk to them, we met with them. We both met with them. You know, they will. They're going on and on about all the events, all the panels, all the television, all the stuff that that is not movies. <laughs> it's not like movies is a selling point because they have all these movies that no one's ever heard of that are you know not branded, that are not def- defined. This is what you consider your job to be. I know this is your your goal in life is to tell us which ones to see but but in fact it, it, it as a drawing in terms of getting audiences to show up television is selling better at south by southwest and tribeca well it, uh, it's a unique example and now up, toronto yeah I, I would say it's different with something like tribeca or south by southwest where there are other kinds of pressures they're dealing with in terms of how they fit into their community you know they're they're almost like conventions in some ways i mean tribeca may even benefit from dropping film from its title now that MSG owns a part of it and they're very event driven. They just they're a big New York event. And South by Southwest is almost like a convention with all these different properties involved in kind of pulling it together. Converging in one place. Yeah, but Toronto is known as I mean it's part of award season, but it's also this big international showcase for cinema in the fall. And I think they want to be able to represent how TV is becoming a part of that conversation, which is very exciting because if they bring certain kinds of shows to North America that haven't shown there, all kinds of different things can happen in the marketplace. You could have people pick up the English language remake rights, or you could have them pick it up and put it on Netflix or something like that where it could accrue some sort of cult following. But it it allows TV to be more porous in a way to kind of travel through whatever, you know, film culture that's true. is becoming. I think that's good. And I, I'm welcome the access, the early act. I mean, some of us are trying to incorporate television into our daily lives in terms of what we do, uh, in terms of what we consume. And, but also if, if you're, if you're a filmmaker or if you, if you want to know what's going on in, in the world, I'm sometimes surprised 
when I talk to filmmakers who don't watch TV because they don't know who the actors are. They don't know who the talent is. They don't know who the directors are. They're not paying attention to what's on television. So just that all the access I can get is a good thing. So I think I'm that happy. It's, it's a great thing that TV is, is a bigger part of the conversation in, in the sense that it puts more pressure on movies, much in the way that the conversation around Cannes does, to be uh, worth our time. You know, if, if you do something that's sort of uh, uh, kind of an afterthought or, or very slight, and there's a TV series that does that every week, it does raise conversations about why, why even bother, you know? And when I look at the can lineup, I hope that every single one of these movies will attempt to prove its worth in this context. And maybe that's an unfair amount of pressure, but I think it's also very much reflective of just this overabundance of media we now all have to sift through. It's unbelievable. And, and um, you know, I was, like, trying so hard to get through to the current season of Justified, you know. I felt I, I fell behind at some point, and I'm trying to catch up. And it doesn't just, it honestly didn't justify the time. It, it finally did not, and I had to give it up, and that was the end of it. That series is gone, and it's over, and we're on to other things. Yep. You have to commit to certain things that, that not only fit with your time, but, but prove their worth. Well, they have to compete out. with everything else. Yep. You know, what, what am I going to Am I going to give up Game of Thrones? Am I going to give up Mad Men in its final season? Right. <coughs> but so. then you bring a different set of standards to the table when you see the new Ho Shao Shen film that will be at Cannes this year or, or Todd Haynes Carroll or something like that because these are just... It's a different media, and I think it's important to keep coming back to that and understanding what that means, especially with the different kinds of industries that are grappling with them. I was reading the, the Sony WikiLeaks email hacks, which is like candy and, and so ridiculous and, and a little dirty, but uh, you just can't So you're look doing away. Google searches, <laughs> I understand. Well, the, the thing that's different... Is Eric in there? <laughs> the thing that's different about it this time is that the the previous hack was a data it was dump. just a dump. Yeah. yeah, you could download it. The the WikiLeaks thing is a very easily searchable database at a URL. Which so I found you in there, and and I found all kinds of different people and, and filmmakers. And really, I only spent maybe about fifteen minutes just kind of checking it out because it, it's fascinating and it's not the sort of thing that I would want to inform my my reporting on a regular basis because it's. You know, it just happens to be there, but it's not the sort of thing I would seek out. At the same time, one of the things that I, I picked up on that I think is informative is the degree to which these high-powered executives are very unclear about how to get people to see movies, especially young people, which they consider this really valuable demographic. And that anxiety is very present. Oh, yeah. It's a big issue. You know, and I just... They've lost the young men. I mean, they've been so geared, they have been so programmed to chasing after the relatively, um, how do I put this delicately? You can get away with uh, lower quality, let's put it that way. You, you don't, don't have, have to, to put it delicately. It's not execution dependent. <laughs> you know, so they would rather sell to, let's not to put two point up, but they would rather sell to dumb males than any other demo because they don't have to make movies that are that good. Right. to do it and you know selling to adults is much harder selling to women is harder uh, although women are by far uh driving more box office than any other demo right now and that is a fabulous thing which they're trying hard to argue with 
<laughs> it's just a fascinating contrast to the variety of movies that you can see outside of the studio system. You just see how restricted, inc- in, in, an incredible amount of money that's very restricted in terms of how you can spend it. And, you know, that just never ceases to amaze me. But I've been picking up for a while that the that the theater owners in, in America. I'm going to go to CinemaCon next week, and I'm curious to see where it's at this at this point at this juncture. They're pissed off that the studios are selling the movies overseas ahead of domestic. In other words, they're more concerned about how it's going to play around the world than they are with how it's going to play in the United States, which is the you know still the biggest market for five minutes until China takes over. Um, it's and- true. I mean, you look at Ex Machina, that opened in the U.K. months before it hit U.S. shores. And uh, a lot of there had already been a lot of press around it. And I'm so pleased that know. that's doing well. I mean, the box office on the specialty side has, has is just booming for, for the moment. Last and weekend it, was great. Incredible, incredible. I mean, it, it's it's really uh, Woman in Gold is doing really well. With and you were right about uh, Clouds, of, Clouds of Sils Maria is, is did doing very strong. well. The and because Kristen Diorna. Stewart is 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 actually that that argues for her as uh, uh, somebody who actually draws an audience. Now, whether that holds will be the tr- the true test. Uh, I mean, whether or not it holds, it's it's something that can be utilized for better movies and that's what's interesting about that too is that she's a because of twilight i'm seeing a different pattern now which is interesting to me that that the the broadway is up with movie stars television is up with movie stars independent films are up with movie stars and that's because they've recognized that doing studio movies is simply not good for their careers. It's right. just not good. So uh, suddenly there are these booms in all of these other sort of what used to be more ancillary uh, avenues. And um, someone like Kristen Stewart has the power to use her global bank ability to make better movies. And she's using it. And and I think that Matthew McConaughey and others, you know, Bradley Cooper, a lot of people have already demonstrated George Clooney, Brad Pitt, the value of of looking for quality ahead of of, of quantity and 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 bottom line dollars. And I think uh, they're setting it's beginning to show such good results that we may all be the benefits of actors with good taste. Absolutely. Just the other day, I was talking to a, a relatively well-known actor who asked me who I thought the top five most promising filmmakers to emerge in the past year were. And I, I was sort of like, don't you have an agent for something like that? And he was like, I don't really trust my agent anymore because he's trying to get me to do these really big things with heavy paychecks. And I want to go work with interesting people who I can form a relationship with because they're going to keep doing substantial stuff. Tell know? him to find out uh, who uh, Kristen Stewart's agent is. <laughs> exactly. I, I actually, I met him. I just don't, I don't want to say, but you know, he, he, he should do that <laughs> because, because there, there are agents who are willing to go with that. And, uh, but if someone like Kristen Stewart says, you know, makes it very clear that she's only going to respond to intelligent material. Well, but again, you know, she's somebody who, who, Started in Indies before she had a name for herself. Well, she doesn't have to prove herself now. Yeah. That's that's the other thing. She's got the franchise. So it is sort of a unique situation in that. I mean, there are plenty of name quantities who don't necessarily have that kind of momentum. And maybe the challenge is sort of how do you how do you take that kind of calculated risk 
when you have just enough visibility out there to take it, but not enough to, you know, get a do-over if you screw up. But the other thing that really annoys me is how many people want to dismiss Kristen Stewart because she was in a romantic chick flick like 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 Twilight that she, that they judge the actress on the basis of the franchise and 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 I, as you say if you looked at her track record from way ahead of 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 Twilight she's done nothing but good work she really has it's an, it's actually a remarkable resume that she has take twilight out of it and judge her and you'll be surprised there are a lot of actors i think who are much better than the material that people know them best for i mean this is nothing new but if you scrutinize all kinds of different stuff at, at you know in a festival lineup you could do that. I mean, look at the star-driven stuff that shows up at Tribeca, or don't, because a lot of it's not very good. Narratives aren't their strong suit, but there's some great actors there, and a lot of those things aren't going to be remembered. It's it's, it's just the, the ways in which people sort of travel through different sorts of projects. It gets lost in the thick of it when you're only focusing on the bigger movies that they either do well in or don't do well in. But there's a lot Either of experimentation way. going on. Yeah. By the way, the 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 actor that I I I who who is in most need of of some kind of career uh, rehab is is Ryan Reynolds. I I have to say because he was not good in Woman in Gold, and he was fantastic in the proposal. And I'd like to know, you know, maybe he's a comedian. Maybe that guy should should uh, focus on a different end of uh, of of the movie business. But it, you know, that's a great example because he's done some other interesting experiments over the last few years that have worked a little bit better. I thought The Voices was one example of that. Buried. Buried. He was okay and buried. Buried was, yeah. a, uh, you know, the fact that he carried that movie is the only face He on did very well. Yeah. yeah. So it, just because that worked didn't mean it was time for a new stage of this guy's career and it shows you just how delicate all these things are. Speaking of delicate, I want to bring up one movie that's opening this week because we've both seen it, and it, in, in addition to all this festival stuff going on, there are movies people can see right now, even if they're not at a film festival. And, and one of them is called Felix and Mira, which is uh, uh, Quebecois director Maxime Giraud's, uh, I believe it's his second feature, and it's a really fascinating movie that actually I think is a good case study for another filmmaker who you may not have heard of, but could do well with a bigger budget and maybe some name talent. It's this delicate romance between an Orthodox Jewish woman who meets this secular man and sort of how they manage to escape the restrictions of their life. And I don't know how many people have heard of this movie, but to me it felt like one of the stronger, more resonant kind of romances I'd seen in a long time just because it was very attuned to both sides of the equation. This woman living in a very restrictive traditional environment and this man who's sort of alienated himself outside of it he's estranged from his family and so forth and, and sort of the way in which they find common ground i thought was they're very done, trapped. well done yeah they're both trapped and and the, the guy is is it has has basically been exiled from his family because of his relationship with his father and 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 so he keeps himself away from his family and she's embedded in in the hasidic uh, culture, which is uh, somebody. I was listening to NPR. They had an interview with the actor who plays her husband, who who is um, 
very rigid inside the, this Hasidic, you know, the rules of that society and not letting her listen to music and, and just being very punitive with her. That actor was a, an Hasidic Jew and left. Right. And and he tells an, an amazing story about Absolutely. what that was, how to leave that world and go out into into the real world. Uh, he, there was a comparison to Scientology, you know, of, right. of how how rigorously the the culture punishes people for trying to leave and Absolutely. tries to prevent them from doing it. I can tell you, I'm also experiencing the same thing from trying to leave Sprint to go to another carrier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but anyway, it's a good movie. It's, get, it's a small, small, you know, intimate little movie, but a surprising. I think part of what you're saying, it's surprising. It's not. It's not what you expect. Exactly, and it does really burrow inside what what it, what it means to be trapped by dogma, and it did hit close to home for me on certain levels. I mean, it's interesting for you to bring up the Scientology comparison because I have my, my brother is actually an ultra orthodox. Jew with a with a young wife and a couple kids, and they live in a community not quite as strict as the Hasidic one you see here. But there, there were certain sort of things that I was picking up on in terms of the nuances that can come across as cruelty, but are much more, at least for the people in this environment, about feeling committed to certain kinds of rigid ways of living your life, and that sort of contradiction where it seems as if somebody is just, you know, morally very close-minded but at the same time is you know believes strongly in certain things is the essence of what religion is but also on some way on some level it's just the the essence of the way we all get trapped in our own stories and get shut off from you know what's best for us in any given moment and the movie's very good at bringing that out in in, in a very subtle way so I, I hope people go check it out what else is opening this week? I haven't seen that much outside of um, gazillion Tribeca movies. Are, are you uh, excited about anything else in theaters? Um, I uh, I did I did see something that's coming up soon, uh, which is called um, Dior and I, which oh, is sure. a documentary about the designer. Uh, but it's most it goes. There's a new mem. There's a memoir that he wrote, which the filmmaker uses as a narrative technique, which I, I found. It reminded me a little bit of what um, there's another documentary coming up, which will eventually get released. Um, uh, it's, it's called um, Listen to Me, Marlon. It's about it's about Marlon Brando. And it has this extraordinary technique of going back. He had he he was a pack rat, and he kept all of his tapes and all of his um, materials. Uh, you see, so they were able to narrate this documentary from the point of view of Marlon Brando. They and, and you don't know when it is or what what period it is or what when his voice is. He would t he would talk to himself. He would make all these tapes, and then there would be shows that they could pick up and everything. So they managed to get away with not doing a lot of talking heads. This one uses a, an actor to uh, do a voiceover from the old you know vintage Christian Dior from his memoir and old black and white footage and then they have the new collection being put together by the new uh, head uh, head of the atelier, you know, who, who has to run the atelier and, and come up with an incredible, it's sort of like Project Runway on right. steroids. Right. And it's really fun. I thought it was very well done. And Dior and I actually had connection to a lot of stuff we've been talking about this week because one, it was at the Tribeca Film Festival last week or last year, excuse me. It opened in New York last weekend at the uh, Film Society of Lincoln Center. It hasn't opened in L.A. yet. And, right, it's opening in L.A. in a week or so, and it's doing very well so far. 
And I think there is maybe something to be said about a movie like that, which is, as you say, has a very natural connection to other uh, forms, you know, the Project Runway element, but it's still cinematic in, in certain ways, and it works as a sort of theatrical experience, and so... It's, it has a little bit of a reality TV drum, dramatic quotient because you're following, you have incredible intimacy. First of all, you don't know how these collections are put together and it's very intimate in the way that it shows you the drama of, of what these people go through uh, creatively and and uh, just in terms of the man hours. And it's it was it was pretty dramatic. I, I enjoyed it and beautiful. So maybe the, the way to solve this bizarre dichotomy between TV and film and whether or not we should see things in the theaters or, or on TV is just to make more fashion documentaries. You know, <laughs> I simple. guess you could also go see Iris. So that's the other one. That's, <laughs> that's right. Out. Opening soon, Albert Maisel's film. Well, we've got plenty of other stuff to dig through. I've got more Tribeca stuff to, to dive into. And who knows, maybe next week we'll have some additional Cannes films to talk about. So I'll let you go and, and uh, we'll you can reconvene next week. Till later. Later. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.